game one is game one. It's it's an unknown. Um, you think you know what's going on until you get in the trenches, and then all of a sudden you lose five nothing, and you're like, oh my god, what just happened? I, I just think our guys would be very business like. You know, like I said, I don't, I don't think we're getting too worked up or focusing too much on changing anything. And they can get through their prep. You know, you get to a point where you just want to drop the puck and play hockey, and that's where we're at. All right, that, of course, John Cooper. Sheldon Keefe, this is the Fan Drive Time from our Toronto studios. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, we are live on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And again, live on Sportsnet 360. And uh, for the seventh straight year with Austin Matthews as part of the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're into the postseason. Third straight year, they're going to have home ice advantage. Second straight year playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, who have made the Stanley Cup final in three consecutive seasons. We'll see what uh, this season has in store for us tonight, 7 o'clock on Sportsnet. Game one, Leafs and Lightning to help us break it down. Your friend and ours, Nick Kiprios of Real Kipper and Born. How's it going, buddy? Hey, I'm ready. Are you guys ready? I couldn't be more ready. I'm fired up. <laughs> I'm ready to roll. Listen, last, last night was a pretty good uh, indication of uh, how hard these guys are going to push. And now, the last few years, I think we can all look at... Uh, first rounds and go these guys like to get shot out of a cannon here and uh i don't know whether or not in round three or four we're going to look back and say yeah the best hockey was in the first round but chances are it may be again and it certainly looked like the fastest hockey is going to be in the first round that oilers kings game was at a, a crazy pace i also got to do something that we've never gotten to do before because the sacramento kings haven't been in the playoffs in forever (laughs) i had dual kings games going on (laughs) oilers kings in overtime and then warriors kings going down to the wire like sebastian aho hitting sebastian aho at the same time yeah yeah and then draymond being more like a a (laughs) hockey player in a in a scrum there than uh than a basketball player it was a it was a lot of fun um yeah it's a fun time of year very much so. Uh, how are you doing? I mean, it's only one day in, but how are you doing energy-wise? Yeah. Are you going to be ready to do yeah. all of these late nights for two months? Double overtime, uh, you know, didn't help. Uh, but I'm one of those guys where, like, I, if I'm engaged, if I've invested in hours here, yeah. I'm not waking up to find out what happened. No, you're pot committed. I am all in. Yeah. And I was with the the Dallas game last night against Minnesota, watching Ryan Hartman uh, finish it off when everything was pointing in Dallas's direction. Shows you that, you know, this is what this time of year is all about. Uh, all that matters is you got one more than the, the the next team that you're facing, and Dallas in many ways deserved to win that game, but that's playoff hockey. Hey, the Maple Leafs might have deserved to win their series in seven games against the Tampa Bay Lightning a season ago in yeah. which they actually outscored the Lightning. They got those those great kudos uh, during the handshake line, which uh, for some reason didn't raise a banner. <laughs> but about. hey, they're, they're coming back today. That's all we heard from the Tampa Bay Lightning today from, from John Cooper on down today and yesterday about yeah. how... Oh, how much respect there is for the yeah. Leafs. And he told Sheldon Keefe yeah. after beating Sheldon Keefe yeah. last year, don't he said, anything. don't change anything. <laughs> Which, like, obviously, <laughs> I know that was a, meant as a nice thing. But to me, that's a that's quite a shot. I'm like, yeah. hey, we'll be back here next year. We want to beat you again. I'm telling you, I wouldn't trust anything that guy would ever sell me no. or be like, move. Hey, like, he, he's a good poker player. Yeah. Uh, and we've heard him choose his words very carefully on mm-hmm. when to compliment or when to... Uh, you know, not compliment you, mm-hmm. and uh, he he's a pro this time of year. And Sheldon's going to have his uh, his hands full going toe to toe against him. Yeah, he is. This feels different. Um, we'll see if it is different 
But, I mean, how different does it feel to you, Nick? Because, yeah. actually, you know what? I, I don't know if the, the, the betting odds favored the Maple Leafs last season. It was obviously a much closer yeah. matchup when we previewed it, and lots of people were picking the Lightning. I feel like very few people are the, picking the Lightning. The analytic models were quite similar to this year. Yeah. The, I remember the, the primary one that I work off of from The Athletic, I, I think it had the Leafs at 62% mm-hmm. last year to win the series. It's about 63% yeah. this year. Although they've changed the model now that, like, looking back last year, it should have been closer to, like, 55-45, I think. Yeah. But either way, the like, analytically yeah. and, and betting market-wise, the Leafs are about the same level of favorite. Listen, yeah. uh, it has to be this year uh, because... Not not only do you look back at the last five, six, or seven years and say, okay, we've been preparing for this, but there, there's so many uh, aspects around it that says you have no choice but to make it this year or it's bust. Mm-hmm. One of those things is Kyle Dubas's contract. Another one could factor in on a renegotiation with Austin Matthews. And all of it falls on the, uh, the thought that uh, for things to progress past this season as is, you have to get past Tampa Bay. I, I don't know what that means moving forward. Is that going to be good enough to appease a lot of people, save jobs, I, give Kyle an extension? It's the minimum, though. Yeah, but uh, it's enough. And I, I don't necessarily like that narrative, to be honest with you. Like, and I, I can't ever recall people thinking that, okay, if you don't win the Stanley Cup, the next best thing is winning the first round. Like, I can't think of a bar lower in my but life. But I also can't think of a franchise that's gone through what it's gone through that's the last fair. 19 because years. Because it's never happened that's in right. North American it, pro sports. It's fair, yeah. and, and I'm here to tell you that it is real. Like, yeah. that perception of you don't have to win the Stanley Cup. You don't even have to beat the Boston Bruins as long as they get past Florida uh, to feel good about this run. All you need is to win four games out of the next seven against Tampa Bay. So given all of that that's going into this, it does it simultaneously feels like a low bar to have to clear when these guys have, have been here a bunch of times already. Like, had they won even one playoff series in the last six years, that would feel like an incre- like a laughably low bar of just get out of the first round, given how good you've been in the regular season, good, given how good the high-end talent is. But simultaneously, it feels like a low bar, and there is kind of a snowballed amount of pressure on this team because there are extensions and trades and GM and coach futures hanging on it. How do you feel about that extra layer of pressure on this Leafs team? Because we've seen at times where some of their playoff failures did seem like they were between, between the ears a little bit, but also times where it didn't feel like that at all. Um, Do you see this being a a pressure kind of sharpens you thing or, or uh, it, it all kind of feels too heavy. Well, for, for a guy like Austin, this is his seventh try to get mm-hmm. out of the first round. I mean, there, there's something to be said about, uh, you know, learning lessons and uh, growing thicker skin and being more comfortable in environments like this. And then there's going to be that break point where if there's failure now, it isn't about learning another lesson. There's It's about a character flaw. Mm-hmm. And decisions, hard decisions will have to be made based on that, and it's just not Austin, the whole roster, the whole coaching staff, the management team, all of it will be judged based on on the success that you can have this time of year. But, you know, the buildup over the last few years, and again, what you've taken out of it and how you uh, now use it to move forward is all coming to fruition in the next two weeks. 
So there's going to be a lot of, regardless of, of what happens in the first couple games of the series, until there's a winner and a reminder, last year they won game one, five, nothing. Yeah. And it looked like things were going to be they were gonna breeze. running pretty smoothly. And then um, they got smoked in game two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until there is a winner in this series yeah. crowned, we're going to be talking about things like, oh, well, this is how it's gone on paper. Or this is what we saw on the tape in the first couple games. But, but, but there is this thing kind of hanging over the Leafs. And there is this also this thing hanging over the lightning. That's almost the opposite where there is this specter of long-term respect, right? That they've been, they've represented the East in the Stanley Cup finals three years in a row. They have a ton of veteran guys, but they've done a good job refreshing certain parts of the roster. And if any team is in the playoff field is one that you think might be able to flip the switch and reach a higher gear in the playoffs and have spent the last two months knowing what it takes to make this long run and waiting for that moment, it would be the lightning. Do you subscribe to that thinking that the, the underwhelming lightning we've seen the last five, six, seven weeks is a team that just knew they could kind of downshift and can turn it on now? Or is that too too risky as you get older and older? I I can be around the game at this level as an ex-player. I I don't know. Nobody knows. I don't care whether or not you're you're in the business or you're not in the business. There's just no tea leaves that will ever read that. All I know is we are talking about some of the most successful modern-day players in history who are not old, (laughs) like... Braden Point had a career year. Uh, Hedman's still in his prime. Vasilevsky's still in his prime. There's no reason to say that these guys are are old and past their prime. Yet there is a philosophy that they've played a lot of hockey and there's been wear and tear. And maybe this is the year that uh, they're just not as hungry or they're not as deep. But they deserve the benefit of the doubt. We're talking about Braden Point the last few years having as much playoff success as any player in history, you know, during uh, the last three-year stretch. So um, you got to go into puck drop and you got to see this thing and and how it develops and how it uh, it grows and manifests. And, and, uh, you know, if, if Tampa Bay's standing after all of this, I don't think a lot of people will be shocked. No. But we go on the optics of what we've seen in the last 82 games and the Leafs have been better than Tampa in, in many regards. And that's why they got home ice advantage. And that's why some of the books will have them as the favorites is we, we only go based on, on the 82 games. And that for me is enough to say that I think that the Leafs can win in, in five or six games. Well, not only that, but I mean, recently since February, Tampa has been lousy. Like they've been below 500. This has been not a good hockey the, team. I know. And the hard part for me, and I'm, I'm with you, like I go through all of the numbers and rewatch some of the games from last year. And it's, and whenever that cloud comes into my head of, Oh, it's the Leafs and Oh, it's the lightning. It's like, well, what are we doing here? If, yeah. if the 82 games of what we see on the actual ice and what the number, like none of that stuff is going to matter, hey, but it hasn't. But, but, it, it, look, I know. They beat the Canadians hey. by 25 points in but, the but regular the, season. But the fans have caught on. We heard yeah. them. They, 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 they had that narrative. Of course, they're all like, you know, can't live without the Leafs, so they're going to go through yeah. the process. Uh-huh. But deep down, they did understand that it's an 82 exhibition game season, and nobody cares. Really, Austin went from 60 to 40 goals. Yeah. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. If that guy scores four or five in this series and they win, he might as well have scored 70. Yep. No, it, it's, it's uh, absolutely correct. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be careful asking this question because, like you said, game one, five nothing <laughs> Leafs. Uh, so that was not a good indicator for the Toronto Maple Leafs last season. But, like, if I was going to 
ask you what was like, what is one statistical category? What is like one trend throughout the course of the seven game series that is a good indicator for the Toronto Maple Leafs? What, what would that be? Uh, hits for me and, and not just, you know, hits, but like all of a sudden we've seen a guy like Lafferty or Chari hit, you know, and the one thing we had, we talked on real Kipper and Bourne is this, this time of year guys hit to hurt and Matt Dumba showed that as much as anybody. And, you know, it's the wear and tear of the hits to hurt. And as long as it's done in a clean way, you, you are trying to wear down your opponent it was never really in the playbook of the Toronto Maple Leafs. They always tried to outskill you. Kyle tried that uh, for a lot of years, whether it was Kyle at the trade deadline or Brendan Shanahan saying, hey, we're going in a different direction. We're going to go guys that play in straighter lines, and we're going to go get guys that finish checks. But it will matter when we need it down the stretch. For me, the indicator in the first few games is can they, can they push like that? And we saw a pretty good example in a meaningless game in Tampa last week. Yep. Not necessarily the, 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 you know, you don't have to get into the, the amount of scrums and you certainly don't have to have a parade to the penalty box that night. But if they can find that nice balance of still having that look without taking penalties and without throwing off the rhythm of their skilled players, that's what I'm looking in these early games for. Well, would this opening night lineup be indicative of that? Because Luke Shen got in a fight in, in that game yeah. against Tampa, the, the one without Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner. Like, and we heard, you know, that was the Sheldon Keefe rallying cry before the first game of last season's seven-game series against the Lightning. Is that like Luke Shen embodies yeah. everything you just said? Yes, he does. Uh, but you got to manage his minutes. This is not a guy that can play 17, 19 minutes. And if you do... Uh, you run the risk of uh, some very good skaters going around him. I'm watching Gudis last night. I'm, arch- I'm watching uh, Mark Stahl last night in Florida, and it, it caught up to them. Uh, you know, Boston's a very skilled player. Players, uh, very skilled team, great skaters. Sometimes those guys were stuck in the mud a little bit. I think that can happen with Luke. So you, you try to squeeze as much as you can out of 11 to 13 minutes and just hope that uh, he has that physical element that can have a ripple effect on your club because it is contagious. It can run. Achari can do it. Aston Reese got a lot better. He got a lot more noticeable when he got more depth players that did the same thing. For those guys now, by committee, if they can go out there and set a tone, it plays in the favor of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You mentioned Shen's minutes, and you know you go back to 2020 and 2021 when he won those cups with the Lightning. Even then, he was only averaging 10 minutes a game when he did draw into the lineup. So, so they did just that, and that was arguably a, a better version of Luke Shen at that point. Um, I like what he's brought so far. I'm curious as to your take on how this affects Morgan Riley's deployment because obviously they're paired together, and those things can be fluid for sure, but when they played together toward the end of the regular season, Sheldon Keefe was actually using that pair in the offensive zone a little bit more yeah. than in the defensive zone. Which, Got him a goal, too. Yeah, which surprised me a little bit for the Luke Shen of it all. But yeah. obviously, you want to find offensive opportunities for Riley as well. How, where do you see Riley's minutes when he's not paired with Shen coming in this yeah. series? Because I, I think they're pretty locked in on that McCabe pairing as their top shutdown group. But they, they've got to find, you know, Riley's obviously not going to play just 10 minutes plus power play. Yeah, no, and, you know... Morgan's uh, another interesting uh, case study for me going into these playoffs. And, you know, a guy that's making $7.5 million a year, you know, sometimes you think of him as a a guy that may have to play 24, 25, 26 minutes. But that hasn't been the case. 
It's also interesting to me that uh, no one's ever been really able to lock in long-term as a partner for Morgan. So I, I don't know how committed he is on these pairings still. And I, I think there might be a little bit of juggling, but for the most part, we know he's going to, he's going to start there. Um, but again, we, we know Morgan's going to fall into a, a 20, 21 minute, 22 minute mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also know that, you know, Luke Shan won't be along for the ride. <laughs> no, he won't. And, and, you know, maybe he's not going to play every game in this series. In fact, I would probably bank on it because, like you referenced, uh, even in those cup runs with the Lightning, he wasn't doing that. I wonder what, what you think. I mean, so much of the, the trade deadline was about uh, adding defensemen in case of injury uh, to slot in and out of the lineup, but also adding depth forwards, right, outside of Ryan O'Reilly, who's, who's going to uh, center the, the second line, which we expected at home uh, with Sheldon Keefe controlling the matchups. What do you think of the 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 potential offense of output uh, out of this bottom six forward core? Do they need it? Are, are you expecting that to factor in at yeah, all? Always this time of year, for sure. And it doesn't have to factor in, you know, tonight or or uh, you know, game two. Uh, but every once in a while, your stars cancel each other out, and you mm-hmm. can hope that you can get a nice bounce off of a third line. And those guys are capable a lot more now. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they are deeper there and, you know, they're, they're he is going to put them in a position where they, they can play 14, 16 minutes uh, a night. And I think the the trick here is to not go look for it, that you feel in your first two lines that if there's going to be any gambling, if there's anyone that's going to cheat a little bit. You know, leave it to the pros. <laughs> Willie Nylander, yeah. um, Tavares, Matthews, Marner. The, the pressure is on them now to go do their job. As a third-line checking situation, you got to make sure you're just sound defensively and you just wait for that opportunity to maybe jump on a loose puck, pounce, and get your goal. But, you know, if Austin, if Aston Reese is out there looking more for shooting opportunities than he is hits... It's not a good thing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I think that that analysis that you just gave goes back well to your point about just the level of hits and level of physicality in general. Because I look at that third and fourth line and an area that that bottom six looks stronger to me this year than last year is that ability to forecheck and put bodies on the Lightning defenders, make them a little uncomfortable. Uh, we know the Leafs are going to have the advantage entering the zone dynamically, right? Like the, the lightning want to go down and they want to cycle and that's how they create their offense. And that's how they built their defenses to limit that kind of stuff. But it's on the rush where they're more susceptible. Um, I'm curious between the third line and the fourth line. So the third line being the, the Aston Reese camp uh, Lafferty line. I mean, we could call them three a and three B probably they'll be used similarly. Is there one of those lines you like a little bit more as the kind of for checking group that can put a little bit more pressure, put the lightning defense back on their yeah. heels a little bit more. I, I like Kampf, um a lot, and I probably he's going to play himself out of a, a contract situation mm-hmm. here. But you're going to try to squeeze as much as you can. I, I think he can be a difference maker too for the Leafs. Um, you know, certainly uh, is a responsible guy, uh, good on faceoffs. But yeah, Camp for me could be a guy that uh, could come up with a, a goal or two without. Again, looking like he's he's searching for it. So there is a name on the fourth line and a name who's not dressing who um, have both 
factored into the top six at times in Kelly Yarncroke, who's they've kind of used all up and down the lineup. And then Matthew Nyes, of course, who we only saw for three games. Um, not an obvious spot for Nyes right out of the gate in this series, but looking over the course of seven um, and where Yarncroke may, might even go, not, not just Nyes. How stable do you think Michael Bunting's hold on that first line winger spot is in this yeah. series? Because he's kind of teetered on the edge back and forth of, are you too bunting at times? I know you need that against yeah. the lighting, but I know you've had some questions as well about yes. whether he yeah. can uh, toe that line. Yeah, he's, he's not a bonafide number one left winger on a Stanley Cup contending team. But, you know, if, if we look at uh, uh, the team that Kyle has, has built here, uh, the, the one weakness has been the left side. And I think it was abundantly clear with how badly you wanted Matthew Nyes to come in and how much you put him in a position in the last few games to, to, to get a, a fair assessment of him. And it is wide open. And it's not given that Matthew Nyes, or I'm, I'm sorry, Michael Bunting, will start beside Austin Matthews in game two or the second period or the third period. So he's going to have to go out there and find that fine line and make sure that uh, Austin is uh, getting good looks or he's opening up lanes or he's getting the puck to him. And, and it starts on those first few sh- shifts. But I, I do think it's, it's wide open to, to juggle and to put different people in different scenarios on that, on that side. Michael Bunting's going to have to be real good real early here to hold his spot here. Um, because he is running shotgun with arguably the two most important players on your team. And and he has to stay out of the box against a team that wants this series to be played more at special teams, right? Listen, and listen, Austin, he's not a scrummer. Doesn't like it. Yeah, no, and it, I don't think it helps Austin if Bunting's constantly going to jump into those piles. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes when, you know, Michael Bunting's going to have to jump in that pile because it's just not a good look. If, if you're not looking guys in the eye or just sending the message that we're not going anywhere. So he's just going to have to be real smart with that and, uh, and pick his spots. He's still early in his career. He's still learning. But you just hope uh, he's learned enough uh, that he can hold his spot there and, uh, and, and give Austin and, and Mitch a, a fair chance to do what they do best. Yeah, his, his free agency case would take uh... – would take a nice little uptick if he could stick with that that, that line and they would have a nice uh, little run of postseason success. Um, you mentioned the penalties. I mean, Lightning take almost the most penalties in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Second most penalties taken for 60 minutes in the NHL this season. The Leafs, we know, have a great power play, second best behind that historic Oilers uh, power play. Four for 24, though, during the seven-game series last year yeah, against the Lightning. Uh, no, Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly apparently gonna gonna step into the William yeah. Nylander spot on on power play one. Like, what do you make of that decision? I like it. I, I do like it. We had Craig Simpson on our show today, um, real Kipper and Bourne, and uh, you know, as long as Willie's okay uh, in, in the second role, and yeah, I mean, maybe it's a shot at your pride a little bit, but you know, if if there's a promise that uh, you know I may see more than the last twelve seconds of a power play, then you know. Maybe it's a, a good chance for me to to slide in in a second penalty kill unit, and maybe I can, you know, maneuver a little easier around there to maybe get an important goal. So, you know, as long as Willie's bought in, I, I don't believe that's the way it's going to play out. You're, he's still a top goal scorer for you, and there will be some nights when you know he's still out there on the first unit, maybe 
Um, but I, I like for now the change up of it. Last few years, it's been real ugly, no matter how much success that they've had. Right. The tail starts uh, the last few years in the last dozen games, and it just crashed in, in the first round of the playoffs. That can't happen again. I think Ryan O'Reilly's got a real good feel for a power play. He moves the puck well. He's got great vision. Um, he's a little bit more uh, fluent out there. Uh, it doesn't have to play one position very well. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to hold one spot mm-hmm. on a power play. He can move around. I, I think it's been a good look for them sliding in Ryan O'Reilly on that unit. Uh, lots on the line tonight. Lots on the line for this entire first round series. Uh, we'll see it play out. Game one tonight on Sportsnet Kipper. Thanks for doing this. Hey, looking forward to it, guys. Have a great playoff run. All right, you too. There's uh, Nick Kiprios, real Kipper and born. When we come back, we'll talk to Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. This is the fan drive time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and live on Sportsnet 360. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think we just rely on some of the great experiences we've had the last, especially the last three runs. Um, you know, obviously a little difficult for us down the stretch here in, in terms of, you know, getting up for, for some meaningful hockey. And um, we'll look to obviously get up for, for the game one tonight. It's, it's, it's the biggest game we've played in, in a long time. So um, we're looking forward to that. There is Steven Stamko's Leafs Lightning Game 1 on Sportsnet tonight. It's the uh, fan drive time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, we're live in Toronto on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360. Um, so we just had Nick Kiprios in to, to help us break down game number one. And, I mean, the big takeaway for me was, yeah, the, the regular – or one of the most prescient comments, I, I, I guess the Leafs are hoping it's prescient, that you made during that segment was about the regular season meaning something. Um, and we're going to talk a little NBA playoff basketball in the upcoming hour. And, and thank goodness for the Sacramento Kings, it did mean something to finish third in the Western Conferences. They are up now two games to none on the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, if, if what we've seen for not just like uh, the last couple of weeks of the regular season, the entire season, but specifically from the start of February for this Lightning team, if they look... It, on par or better than the Toronto Maple Leafs in the seven-game series? I, I don't know what we do with the regular season going forward. Well, you here's the thing, and Bill Daly kind of told us this yesterday in, in talking about some of the load management stuff, is you get to the level where you've earned the right to manage the regular season however you want. Like, we have no choice but to look at it for the Leafs and, and try to pull what we can because there is no element of, well, if things are bad, they can flip the switch. It's It's no. If things are good, they have to be extra good because the switch might get flipped against you. Um, No, I don't, I don't know what to do specifically with the Leafs. I think the NHL has done a decent job making, you know, even the Colorado avalanche jump a spot in the the playoff bracket on the last day of the season, right? right? Like the regular season matters for a lot of teams who weren't the Bruins, the Leafs or the lightning. (laughs) Um, And look, the Bruins looked just fine yesterday, even down Patrice Bergeron and with their, their goal. I'd imagine that that bottle was filled with Pedialyte, not water. Mm. um, Given what we had heard about uh, those guys coming in that game. 
I, I think the Leafs are a pretty unique case. I think the the comparable team for the Tampa Bay Lightning, if we're going cross sports, is the Warriors. And maybe yeah. the Warriors, well, how they it. look through so, two games is encouraging to you for the if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. However, the Leafs are not the Kings because the Kings are just happy to be there. Yeah, but the King, yeah, I, I, I don't know. We did like half an hour on that game on, <laughs> on the Raptor show with William Lou today. Um, so, yeah, we, we don't need to go all the way into that. The Leafs are not the Kings. The Leafs no. are closer to like if the 76ers got knocked down the first round That's instead of the right. second round every year. Yeah. Um, after, you know, tanking and changing regimes a couple times and changing mm-hmm. coaches and changing co-stars and changing strategy around your stars and all that stuff. Um, no, there is not a great comp there. But I do think that there is an element of... You can flip the switch and you can flip the switch. You can flip the switch. But at a certain point you reach down and it's not there. Yeah. Right. Like you flip it and the, the NOS tanks empty. And we ran into that with the LeBron James Cavaliers in 2018, where they still had enough to beat the Raptors, but it took like a pretty big psychological break for them to beat, break the Raptors. And it was the game one where the seven taps at the, the game winner rattled out and the Raptors were just like, that's it. We're never going to beat. Well, and everybody else took them to seven games during that playoff. Yeah, they were not good. And then the Warriors wiped the floor with them in in that finals. So there was an element of that right now. It's only two games, but the Warriors of this era of the Warriors have never been down to nothing before. Mm -hmm. And Draymond in particular looks Mm -hmm. like a guy who's maybe having a little bit of trouble um, reaching down and turning that on. So I'm not going to doubt the lightning's ability to do that. We saw obviously uh, Kucherov last year after game one of that series became a completely different player. And it was like, oh, he just had to get like metaphorically punched in the mouth once yeah. to, to figure that out. And there are a number of guys on this Lightning team. And the Lightning front office has done a really good job kind of refreshing the guys further down the, the lineup so that, yeah, maybe you you wonder if certain guy, if Kucherov can do that again or if the Braden Point Stamkos line is still elite elite or just like regular elite or if Victor Hedman has gone from best defenseman in the world to just one of the best defensemen in the world uh-huh. they've also done a good job you know fortifying through and, and constantly turning over that bottom part of the roster where yeah you can't get you can't be too comfortable going into the series no matter how good things look on paper oh yeah and then the hall of fame goaltender uh which is the most important yeah. position and in the entire sport by the way the what? Leafs lost that seven-game series to them last year in the most pedestrian Vasilevsky series. Yeah. He wasn't Until bad. game six and seven. He, but you had your opportunities sure. early in that series, and, and you know you can look at the numbers and try to talk yourself into Samsonov yeah. neutralizing that a little bit, but it's still Vasilevsky. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Again, 7 o'clock tonight on Sportsnet. Now, just about everybody has this thing uh, picked for the Toronto Maple Leafs, except for my high school classmate, Matt Larkin, who works for DailyFaceOff.com. He has the lightning in seven. Talk to his boss, Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content for DailyFaceOff.com. What's going on, Frank? I don't even know that I need to do the hit. I think Blake just outlined everything that I was just thinking. <laughs> right? Uh, sh- should we move on then? Get your Matt Dumba take? No, I want your Matt Dumba take in a second. But yeah, this has to be it, right? Like this, this if it's not it, I mean, obviously massive changes are afoot. But yeah, what did we just watch for 82 games? Well, that and you're never going to get a better opportunity to knock off the Tampa Bay Lightning than right now, if that's the case. Like, this was a very sort of average season for them. Not that I think they care because they knew just like the Leafs knew that they were locked into this matchup, probably even starting on the road by U S Thanksgiving. There wasn't a whole ton to play for yet. They still piled up some pretty impressive seasons. 
And they did it in a year when Vasilevsky just seemed, you know, like a superstar instead of a impenetrable force. And Victor Hedman seemed like a mere mortal for a stretch of the season instead of, you know, an incredible, you know, robo defenseman for the last 10 years that he's been like, this is if you've ever wanted to get the Tampa Bay lightning in the first round of the Stanley cup playoffs in the last handful of years, this is the one. Yeah. And if you can't come through, there's no one to blame except for yourself. That's right. Uh, I agree with all of that. The Hedman thing is interesting. He's 32, which, uh, goodness gracious, is not ancient. But he's played a lot of hockey games, a lot of minutes over the last half decade. Um, And he's one of the oldest defensemen in the National Hockey League. Now, of course, Maple Leafs employed the oldest, um, but not asked to do the same things that Hedman is. And, And if you go by some of the advanced stats, expected goals against per 60, it's it's his highest total or highest rate, I should say, Frank, in in 10 years, like. Where where are you on on Hedman? Because uh, seems rather important. I mean, when they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, it was his absence that was the the primary reason. Yeah, the the Lightning have seen most gettable when Hedman isn't at his absolute best, and I think part of it is tread on his tires. This you know, as you get into this season with the sheer amount of hockey he's played and workload. I also think there's been a number of really close calls with injuries that could have been season-ending or really significant. You know, a knee injury here or there, a sprain, you know, things that look ugly in, t- in, in real time that suddenly he's back on the ice two days later and you're like, man, how'd that guy do that? That's been the story of his season. So, you know, he's not – I don't think he's quite at 100%. And I think the other part of the discussion when it comes to sizing up this series that's probably really overlooked is Mikhail Sergachev is the second best defenseman in this series, and it's also probably by a wide margin. Like, Sergachev's season was so good, and I, I was really, you know, as I was sifting through this Naris ballot, which was incredibly difficult as it was, like, Sergachev was inside my top 10 of of defensemen this season that's how good he was so certainly something to keep an eye on for the Leafs as well I'm glad you mentioned that because I mean you you frame that as a a positive for the Lightning in that they have the two best defensemen in the series which is obviously true Um, but I was going to ask you a follow-up about Victor Hedman and how some of the the metrics or, or analytics if you prefer aren't as rosy on him this year still, of course, agree that he's quite good, just maybe not at the same level. How much of that do you think comes down to that the depth on defense around Hedman and Sergachev is not quite as strong as we've seen in years past where a perfect, a radish, Cole and Sarnak as, as a third pair. Um, there's not quite the high end depth that the lightning have had in years past. How much of an effect do you think that has on Hedman? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. It's one that even people that work in analytics or the metrics, have a difficult time defining. Um, But I would say that certainly has played a factor. And I think that just is another reason why if you're the Leafs, this is the year you want to get the lightning because they, they frankly just aren't as deep and it's not just on defense. You know, it's not just missing um, Jan Ruda and Ryan McDonough. It's also missing Andre Palat up front. And, you know, yeah, they've, they've found some admirable, 
uh, replacements. Like Nick Perbix kind of came out of the clear blue sky for the Lightning and started off really strong in his game tailed off a bit as the season went on. Um, and, and Ian Cole was kind of just serviceable. Um, and that's sort of all they really were asking for from him. But this, you know, that I think has probably contributed to, you know, you take someone like McDonough, even though he had declined out of their top six, all of a sudden, even if you're not playing with him directly, you're asked to do a whole lot more. And so, um, you know, the rising and falling tide theory, just in the same way that I, I equate that to a lot of the success that the Edmonton Oilers had to close out their season once they were able to acquire Matthias Ekholm, mm-hmm. the pressure that that took off of Darnell Nurse and their top pair to feel like they don't have to do quite as much, I think that's a real thing. And so difficult to quantify, but the answer nonetheless is your your premise is correct. Yeah, and, and that Oilers team sure looked real good through uh, 50 minutes yesterday against the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, gets scored on um, on a six-on-four at the end of regulation, end up losing in overtime. That was a team, man, that, that was dominant. They had two regulation losses since the start of, of March, Frank, and a lot of people picking them to win the Stanley Cup, and part of that is the depth of field in the West isn't quite what it is in the Eastern Conference. But also, they just look like a juggernaut, frankly. Um, and, and it's just one game. But, okay, let, let's put it in, in, in these terms, considering we got game one, Leafs and, and Lightning tonight. Is there actually, you know, in a weird way, more pressure on that Oilers team, considering the season that uh, Connor McDavid just had, considering how great they looked after the deadline? Well, there's... I think the pressure has certainly ratcheted up a little bit because you hear Leon Dreisaitl talking after the game about how, you know, there was a lack of maturity from the team that I thought everyone kind of just assumed that the Oilers were past that. And I'll tell you what, um, if the Oilers mess around with the Kings in the same way that they did in the first round last year and don't come to play, this is where their Stanley Cup dreams are going to die because that Kings team is better this year than they were last year. But when it comes to pressure, like are the Oilers feeling some? Yeah, I think they are a bit. Anytime you, you know, come in when people are picking you as the Stanley cup winner um, and you, you were playing so hot down the stretch and you're on home ice to start, you know, the vibes are immaculate. You get off to a, um, a great start through the first couple of periods in your building. You have a two nothing lead in the third period. Then, you're up three to one and you can't salt that away. Um, like to me, that was a huge red flag. But that said, if you want to talk about comparing the pressure, mm-hmm. if the Leafs lose on home ice tonight, oh yeah, all of a sudden all those demons, baby, they're they're coming out again. Uh without question. Uh even if they win. The, the demons uh, will still be discussed because, again, they, they won 5 nothing in Game 1 against the Lightning a, a season ago before losing in uh, in Game 7 by a goal. So I almost forgot that one of the main – or one of the one of the talking points around every Stanley Cup uh, postseason is about, like, the cleanliness of, of individual hits and, and how much supplemental discipline somebody should get, and there'll be none for Matt Dumba because it was retracted, the, the five-minute major that, that he got on uh, with the, the hit on Joe Pavelski, who was, man – on, on rubber leg street, uh, getting off the ice there. What, what did you yeah. make of the hit and what have you made of the subsequent discourse? Uh, the discourse, as you said, is normal. Yeah. Uh, fair to ask the question. Personally, I don't see any issue with the hit. I think you could argue that it was maybe a quarter second late 
I would also argue that Matt Dumba, you know, sort of made his intentions really clear in the way that he went into the hit. Would have been really difficult to try and even, you know, step away from from making it based on his angle of attack. Um, unfortunate result, seeing Joe Pavelski's head bounce off the ice. I think no one likes seeing that. We all know way too much about concussions and how that works. And if he was unconscious for any period of time, which it certainly looked like he was, yeah. automatic grade three concussion. Um, you know, to hear, you know, Pete DeBoer essentially say, you know, not confident that he's ready for game two. I, I think it's actually in some ways flipped the series on its head because that line Dallas relies on them so much. I think they're the most complete line in hockey uh, left wing center to right wing that they, their depth is certainly not really what a lot of other teams have in terms of their focal point. And they're going to ask a lot of some other players in their lineup that Minnesota, I thought that series was already really close and Minnesota takes game one. Um, It's a potential series changing hit. And so people look at it and, you know, they might say, Oh, that first game was so violent. I don't know. I'd sit there and say that game was glorious. And it was just about everything that I think you want in a Stanley cup playoff game. Yeah. I mean, you can't, legislate out the way a, a guy happens to fall I guess um the, you know it's a it's a tough call on that on that hit and certainly not the way you want to make a, a tight series even tighter but it is shaping up to be a good one um Frank in terms of good series that have the potential to kind of capture a lot of attention for the NHL we had Bill Daly on the show yesterday and he kind of he non-answered but answered that yeah it would probably be pretty good for the league and the future salary cap and things like that if the Leafs and uh, maybe to a lesser extent the Oilers went on deep runs here we in addition to starting Tampa Bay and Toronto tonight start that battle of New York between the Rangers and the Devils um what are you expecting from that series and do you think that's a big one on the the league's larger radar given the market oh and we lost Frank. Ben, what do you think of Rangers Devils? And it's important to the league as uh, I know we'll, we'll probably have our pal Adnan on tomorrow and we can break down game one of that one. But Battle of New York seems to have kind of flown under the radar given how many good and intriguing series there are out of the gate here in the NHL. Yeah, I think it's very important. Yeah. Uh, no, I had uh, Greg Wyshynski on uh, Friday show last week that you weren't on. And we talked about that that very series and, no. and like the, the, the evolution of That's feelings between, a day. <laughs> between those two fan bases, how it used to be little brother, big brother. But yeah, the, the run of success that the Devils had uh, in the early 90s kind of flipped that on its head after, of course, the Rangers winning uh, with our good pal Nick Kiprios in, in 1994. But, uh, you know, that's, a, that's an absolute slugfest. And it goes back to what I was talking about with the Oilers and them being a, a pretty sexy pick to win the Stanley Cup this season, partly because they were great, um, partly because they, again, only had two regulation losses from the, the start of March. Um, partly because they have a guy that put up like 180 points this season, but also partly because the West just isn't as deep. Um, and we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, could could the Devils or Rangers give the Bruins a run for their money uh, getting through the Eastern Conference 100%? Now we do have Frank Cervelli back, president of hockey content for uh, dailyfaceoff.com. We were just asking, or at least uh, Blake was, Frank, about um, the import as far as the future potential uh, ticking up of the salary cap for a team like the Rangers or the Maple Leafs to go deep in this postseason? I mean, I, 
does it have an what like what's the question does it have an impact on on how they view the summer or what no 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 it, it was sorry I, I know you cut off so i had been i had referenced the conversation we had with bill daly yesterday where he kind of like wink wink that yeah the leafs going on a deep run is something that could impact oh, you know oh, where we oh. are in terms of that shortfall from the the pandemic era being made up and freeing the cap uh to move There's, in the future so we're talking more league revenue side yeah, there's no wink, wink at all. It's it's an obvious math equation: higher ticket prices, <laughs> rabid interest, and more uh, intrigue. Full buildings, uh, you know, a full building in Tampa is not the same, you know, revenue return as a full building in Toronto, and et cetera, et cetera. Go through the list. Um, tickets just cost more. More home games in Edmonton. More home games in Toronto. More money, more money in the in the coffers, and more money for the players to repay owners. Um, we also talked to Bill Daly, not to reference everything we did on yesterday's show, but I do think it's relevant, uh, and I think it's interesting. That I mean, first of all, I had no idea that during, in the current CBA, Bill Daly believes that there's like a clause that allows the league, if it wants to, to still enact the salary cap during the postseason. They just choose not to. Also interesting, yeah, Nick Foligno, Back for uh, the Bruins yesterday. Mark Stone going to play game one uh, tonight mm-hmm. for, for the Vegas Golden Knights. And and we get it. Like, Mark Stone had back surgery. I think his back was severely hurt. I get that. But it is interesting that you it, – it's incredible timing that the healing process uh, uh, got him ready for exactly this moment tonight, Frank. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not going to scream from the top of a mountain about this thing. But it is like that the NHL doesn't see anything screwy with that is a little bit head-scratching. I mean, it kind of reminds me of those flights. You, like, you guys ever take the the Rouge flight to Florida and someone needs the walker to get on the plane, but magically by the time the plane lands, it's like a healing <laughs> flight. They, they're able to just get off under their own power. Like, I've never seen anything like it. It's unbelievable. And that's sort of how I think about the NHL's cap situation. Like, so Vegas, let's use them as the example. Mark Stone, nine and a quarter million dollar cap hit. Yeah. He misses a huge chunk of the season, and again, no one's questioning the severity of of his injury, but holy smokes, by the grace of God, last Monday he walks out of the Golden Knights locker room for practice, and he is ready to go with exactly one week to go, or eight days to get ready for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, come on, man. Like, I, I know that we, there's a, everyone's been doing this. This is the flavor du jour in terms of how everyone manages their cap, and, and that's how it works. But it, it doesn't mean that that's the way that it should be. And when you look at LTIR and how it operates, it's a real simple thing. Like you said, put in a cap for the playoffs. You don't have to put in a cap. There needs yeah. to be no daily management. It's just that the lineup you're icing, all of their cap hits in that one game in particular need to add up to $82.5 million or less. And if they add up to more, well, then you got to make some lineup decisions to keep your team compliant for the playoffs it's as simple as that it doesn't need to be any more complicated i think you guys are just not giving enough credit to the sports science staff who get an injured player and look and say we need this guy healthy Mm -hmm. by april 18th and they lay out a plan that gets that guy healthy for exactly (laughs) april 18th not a day earlier (laughs) to me this is all just sports science goodness no cap shenanigans whatsoever uh by the way speaking of sports science I, i looked up while while we had lost frank there because he had mentioned victor hedman playing more hockey than just about anyone uh, over the last couple of years, since the start of the 2014 season, he has played just shy of 19,000 minutes on the ice. Brett Burns, the only uh, the only guy 
higher, and that is by not very many minutes. Yeah, it's a lot of minutes. A lot of hockey, a lot of successful hockey. Uh, hasn't been as successful this season, but we'll see uh, how he looks in game one tonight on Sportsnet 7 o'clock. Frank, always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Cannot wait. Enjoy it, guys. Thanks, Frank. Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Yeah, that would be an incredible surgeon. Like, if you could, in fact, you know, you you would lay out a, a rehab plan for, for Mark Stone that was, you know, perfectly in place to have him actually not be healthy, like go through an inspection that Bill Daly said, hey, there's a there's an oversight here that the, the NHL, uh, is the, he the, trying the to lead get... doctors show up like a month ago and they say, boy, this guy still looks like he's a month away. An inspection is a hilarious way to, he's not a car. Well, he's not like going under an emissions test. Yeah. Well, he's, he's going to play in a postseason hockey game, despite the fact that he hasn't played in a regular season hockey game since early January. And again, had back surgery and hey, if you can do it and, and the Tampa Bay Lightning want to cop doing it. Uh, and and the Boston Bruins were able to reinforce their team at the deadline doing it. If, if nobody's, if there's no oversight, why wouldn't you do it? Well, this is the thing: is the rules are the rules, and it's on general managers and, and front offices to find ways around that and, and to maximize the existing structure. Right? Like they're not doing anything that that's illegal. And I would say, in the case of a Mark Stone and some of the longer injury ones, um, there is an argument also, and. and Maybe this isn't the case for a team like the Bruins that that knows as much as you can in hockey that they're going to go on a good run here, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're Vegas and that series is more of a coin flip, more of a, a competitive series, dropping a guy back into really intense games after a long layoff with no ramp-up period, no, I, I would bet a lot of people would tell you at least in round one, there's a trade-off to doing that when you keep a guy out for months. No, it's a great, great point. We'll see. I mean, Vegas is, is hoping that he looks at his best tonight. All right, when we come back, uh, Kevin Gossman weirdly didn't look at his best yesterday in Houston. We'll look back at that game, look ahead to game two in Houston, Blue Jays and Astros. As the fan drive time continues, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 5.9, the fan, Sportsnet 360. I'm going to give away some wrestling tickets too. Oh, yeah. See you.